Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Good stuff. Well, turn with me to John chapter 1. We are going to continue in our Christmas series. It's in the New Testament. If you're new to church, it's in the, the beginning of the New Testament. It starts with four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's the fourth book in the New Testament. Um, feel free to look it up in your table of contents if you don't know where to look. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, last week we started off and read the first um, first of John uh, John one and worked through that. Talked about Jesus incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus, who was the Word sent from God, who was God, who was with God, and um, who was there in the beginning. And he created all things, was fully God, and yet became fully man in order to rescue you and me. And the passage today we're going to talk about, um, talks about bearing witness to Christ. Christ was a man, or became a man, he became one of us, uh, so that he could step into our struggles, step into our tears, step into our frustrations, and he was God so that he could bring real hope and peace and joy to those troubles. So we're going to talk this week about what it means to bear witness to Christ, and uh, we're going to look at, uh, at a particular man named John the Baptist who bore witness to Christ. But before that, I want to just talk about this idea of witnessing, uh, of what it means to be a witness. Uh, several years ago, Nike had a commercial um, that they put out that had to do with LeBron James, and uh, who was known as King James, and I'm not a big LeBron fan, but this was a pretty, pretty well done uh, commercial and promotion that they, that they put out. And so in the, the commercial, the tagline was, we are all witnesses. And so in the commercial, they would have uh, one scene after another of incredible basketball play. Then they'd show someone who was in the stands uh, cheering for him with a shirt that said witness or with a tattoo that said witness or something written on their face that said witness. And they'd show LeBron again. They'd show another person. And, and then it just concluded with this thing of we are all witnesses to the greatness of LeBron James. And Nike was obviously capitalizing on the fact that this is a once-in-a-generation type of player, not as good as Jordan, obviously. Um, but he, but he was a, he's a pretty good basketball player, you know? Um, and we all got to witness his greatness on the court, and then we're to spread the word about it. We're to acknowledge that. And I'm convinced that Nike was tapping into some of what the Bible's talking about when it talks about being a witness. That you are to witness greatness, and that ought to overwhelm you, and there ought to be a response in you if to what you witness of celebration and of joy and of proclamation. Uh, I got to enjoy a little bit of that in the Big 12 championship game a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm going to step on some toes here. I see a couple sh heads shaking over here already. But as a Baylor Bear, I kind of enjoyed seeing Baylor's goal line stand. Uh, three plays in the, in the first half, and then seven plays at the end of the game in the, in the second half to close out the Big 12 championship. Uh, I saw Baylor shut down uh, the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Um, and coming there, it was interesting that I had two friends that told me that they got to witness this great event. 
One uh, came straight from the game to a Christmas party the day of the championship and said, man, we were in a box and we were looking down and we had a bird's eye view of when the guy took off and everyone thought he was going to score and the Baylor guy hunted him down and knocked him out just before he crossed the line. I think we've got an image there. Oh yeah, look at that. And some of you don't, some of you are in tears right now, but I want you to witness the greatness uh, that took place on that field. Another friend said he was on the other side and he was right down the, the, the end zone line and had a perfect view just a few rows up of the play that won Baylor championship. Now, can you imagine attending that game and never cheering, never getting excited, never celebrating, never talking about it the next day? If you're an OSU fan, you can. But like the rest of the world was happy about it. Uh, and so I got to be excited about that. Now, maybe that's too close to home. Uh, let's think about a different example of something that you witnessed that was, that was great. Um, some of you have witnessed the birth of a child. And maybe not in the moment it wasn't great, but later it was great for you ladies. But it, there's something about that that was awe-inspiring. When you saw life come into the world and you heard a cry and you held that baby for the first time and you didn't keep that to yourselves. You took a picture, you made a phone call, you broadcast that to everyone you could. You wanted the people that knew you to celebrate and enjoy what you were enjoying in that moment, right? Now, some of you, maybe you're not there yet, you're a younger guy, you, got, you may remember when you got your first car. You remember when you got the keys to a car for the very first time and you went and you ran your, your hand down the side of that car admiring its lines and just taking it all in. You sat down and if it was a new car, you got the new car smell. If it wasn't a new car, you got the car wash smell that was sort of trying to pretend to be a new car smell but, but still felt pretty good because it was clean. And then you took a picture of it before you went to Target and got door dings. And you went to work the next day or school the next day and you offered to take everyone to lunch or everyone to, to go ride with you and they knew something was up because you'd never offered in seven years they'd known you to drive before, but you, were, you wanted to show off the car, the greatness of the thing that you were enjoying, right? We have these moments and this is what it means to be a witness. It means to experience something, to be a witness to it, and then to respond to it with celebration and, and with telling others about the thing that you've, that you've seen. So we're going to look at what it means to be a witness. And when it comes to Jesus, we're all witnessing something greater than LeBron, for sure. Something greater, um, even than a, than a Baylor victory, something greater than uh, the, the, a new car, and even, even something greater than the birth of a child. Because the birth of Jesus was even more significant than that. So let's look at John 1. Let me read. I'm going to read from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was like, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So God's cosmic grand self-disclosure, as we talked about last week, to the world of, of, of the word who was, who was with God and who was God, stepped into this world and included a man who would witness that event and proclaim it throughout human history. 
So the transcendent eternal plan of God was worked out through this personal historical testimony of one man named John the Baptist, who was a forerunner. Notice in verse six, uh, we're gonna begin and talk about John the Baptist. And there's this kind of funny statement if you read it, and some people think it was inserted later, but as you flow through this statement, it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. It just feels almost underwhelming, doesn't it? Uh, it feels like there, you know, if you get like, there, there was the word who was and was with God and was God, and then you get to there was a man whose name was John. And so, you know, I think that this is going to be one who, he's not the focal point. He's not the purpose of everything. He's going to be one that points to the one who makes all the difference in the world. And so you think about John the Baptist, though, he was an important dude in the New Testament. He came from a priestly family, um, and the angel Gabriel actually announced his birth to his father when he was in the temple doing the work of the, the priesthood. Now, I don't know what kind of birth announcement you had, but I didn't have an angel show up and tell everyone I was coming. And so, you know, you guys think you're the first ones that think the baby reveals a big thing. Um, this has been going on a long time. People have been doing reveals about babies for a long time. And John the Baptist had one of the biggest ever with an angel stepping in to announce that this one, this boy was going to be born to his mother, Elizabeth. Now, let me show you how personal this is, because I think this is significant. Remember what we looked at last week, John 1, that Jesus was eternal, that Jesus was there in the creation, that nothing was made in the entire universe that, that was not made by him that he didn't have a part in, that he was there, uh, that he just was, that he was with God, that he was God. So think about the cosmic ramifications of that and everything that happened in the first verses of John 1. And then you come around to this one individual named John the Baptist who was there to testify to him. And you realize when John the Baptist, when he was in Elizabeth's womb, that Elizabeth was a cousin to Jesus' mother, Mary. And it said that Mary went and traveled to go visit her cousin Elizabeth at the time when they were both pregnant. And when, Elizabeth, when Mary stepped into the presence of Elizabeth and got there, it says that, that John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy. That something about being in the presence of Jesus, even at that point, caused him to just burst forth in joy, even while he was in the womb. Friends, if there's one thing I can impress on you today about Christmas is that we ought to leap for joy in the presence of Jesus. That when we think about Jesus, it ought to spontaneously just make us explode in joy because of who Jesus is. Now, ultimately, this is what it means to be a witness. That when, that when we encounter Jesus, that we respond in joy. And we do what comes naturally to us as an overflow of that. So look at verse, uh, going back in verse 6. It says there was a man sent from God. Now, ultimately, when you think about what it means to be sent from God, this is a significant com commission. I don't know about the last time you got a job, but it was probably hard for you to say, like, well, I came here because the Lord sent me. Now, yes, the Lord obviously sent you, but John was specifically sent for a specific purpose to do this. And some of you got the Blues Brothers in your head right now. I know it. I just know how this works. You're like, we've, we've been sent on a mission from God. And so you've got this thing going. Anytime you hear that phrase, you go back to the Blues Brothers. If you don't, that's probably good. Just leave it alone. Um, but as you think about this, this is about his mission and his purpose. John the Baptist was sent by God to prepare people to receive Jesus. He was a prophet, 
Uh, he was one who ha- came with a preaching a message of repentance, calling people to turn from their sin and to turn their hearts to God. In that sense, he's known as the forerunner of the Messiah. He's the one who cleared the way for the Messiah to come and giving people a heads up to be on the lookout for this rescuer, Jesus, that was coming to save the world. And so he was, he was to, to prepare people's hearts for Christ. Look in verse 7. That's why it says, he came as a witness, to bear witness about the light. There's that word, witness, right? He was to bear witness about the light. And then it goes on and says, he wasn't the light. There was a true light that was to come. That's Jesus. He was to bear witness, to tell everyone, to acknowledge that Christ was coming. Christ was the center of human history. All of history before Christ anticipated Jesus' arrival. Everything after Jesus walked on the earth looked back at Jesus and said, that changed everything. And so all of, all of the Bible points to Christ. And in that, the death and the resurrection, we celebrate the rescue mission and the, path, the plan that God was unveiling that really took its pinnacle in the person of Jesus. And John the Baptist gets to be a witness to that. Now look in verse 7, if you continue, it says that he came as a witness so that all might believe through him. Now, all means what? All. This was an open invitation. This was a, this was a, big, uh, a big testimony or witness that he gave, meaning that, that, that it was inclusive of all who would enter and of all who would receive. And next week, we're going to look at verse 12. Verse 12 says that all who receive Christ, who believe in his name, have the right to become children of God. And next week, we're going to unpack that. That's the message. That's the broadcast. That's the invitation that John the Baptist is offering. He's saying, through this one named Jesus who showed up as a baby, lived a perfect life, who eventually lays down his life and death and is raised again and left an empty tomb, ascended to the Father and will come back one day to make things right. That's Jesus. And to all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, you have the right to become a children of God, fully accepted by Lord as one of his own. So this is what John the Baptist was testified to, that all might believe through him. In preaching, in preaching that message. Verse eight, John the Baptist says, was not the light. And wouldn't it be great? Like you get to include it in John and you think you've got this great place and does it and he goes, hey, but this dude really wasn't the light. Like he was, he was a good dude, but he wasn't, he wasn't the light. There's someone a lot more important than him. And so um, it says that he came just to bear witness to the light. Now, there's a lot more we could say about John the Baptist. If you go and you read the rest of the Gospels, uh, he lived an incredible life and it's an incredible story. Some of you have seen paintings of his head on a silver platter, and we're not going to get into all that today because uh, as much as we could say, I want to stay focused on John 1, and John 1 doesn't focus on John the Baptist, it focuses on Jesus. John the Baptist just witnesses to Jesus and testifies to him, so we're going to focus on him as well. But I want to make one point. Jesus later says of John the Baptist, he said, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one arisen greater than John the Baptist. If Jesus says no one's ever lived greater than you, that's a pretty good endorsement, isn't it? And yet, the greatest accomplishment of the greatest man who ever lived other than Christ was to be a witness to the greatest who ever lived Jesus. The greatest accomplishment the greatest man ever did was to be witness to the greatest one, uh, one who is greater than he. Verse 9 11 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. When it says true light, it means real, genuine. Uh, it could also mean 
the ultimate or final, the, the one who surpasses all others. So if you've got lights that are sort of dim and you turn on a bright light, all the other, you ignore all the other lights because one is brighter and greater. That's the image we're meant to have here is that Jesus was a true light that was coming in to give light to everyone. By his appearance on earth, by his, uh, his coming to us, he shed light revelation um, so that we might understand really who we are and who the Lord is and we might trust him. Now, when you, friends, bear witness to something, it means that you're not the main event. It means that you're the observer of the main event. You're the spectator of the main event. You're the one who saw or observed or witnessed what happened and responded to that one. This is what John the Baptist's role was. It's also what our role is, um, is to, to see or experience Christ and then to respond to that. So how do we apply this? How do we think about this? Let me, let me start with this. Um, do you know that for the church, our primary objective is to be a witness to the glory and the goodness of God? In fact, Jesus would go on later and says, as the Father sent me, I send you. And so we're sent just like Jesus was. In fact, Jesus, John the Baptist was also sent by God to be a witness. And Jesus says, we, I'm sending you in the same way. Acts 1.8 says, before, uh, before Jesus went to ascend to heaven, he told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my what? Witnesses in Judea and in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples were to be witnesses and to move throughout the earth and they were to plant churches and they were to teach those churches how to be witnesses so that that would begin to replicate through each neighborhood in the world. That was the plan. That was God's plan for how he wanted to, uh, us to operate. And so we're to be witnesses. We're to be Jesus' evidence. We're to be his ambassadors to the world. Think about this. That was the final command Jesus gave before he departed before he ascended to heaven, the last thing that we have recorded that he said to his disciples is, you're to be my witnesses. Think about how personal that would have been to them as they listened to him say that, as they saw the resurrected Lord with, with the, the scars on his wrists and his feet from laying down his life for them and as they witnessed and observed him and as they listened to his teaching and he said, one last thing I have to say to you, you will be my witnesses. And, and I want you to imagine that that comes down to you, that that same message comes to you. And, and, he, and he named places that he wanted them to go. And for you, that means that there's places you need to go, there's people you need to go to. And, and in a sense, if it, you, might, you might think of it this way, that Jesus would be saying something like, will you be my witness to Joe? Will you be my witness to Betty when she goes through the divorce that she's going through? Will you be the one that goes across the street to that neighbor in your, in your neighborhood? Will you be the one that loves the unlovable person at the office? Will you be the one that steps across a line that no one else seems to want and build a bridge to a relationship for someone else? Will you be my witness to Susan when she's out of work? I don't know who the person is that he's sending you to, but I'm confident that there's people that God wants to send you to. He's saying, would you be my witness? And John 1, 1 says, uh, of these disciples, he says, it talks about their witnessing. He says, we have heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon, we've touched this one named Jesus. They're saying is, we experienced who he is. And because of that, we know we're called to go and be witnesses of, of what, he, what he brought. Second Peter um, 
1.16 says, we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is what it means that they, they saw his glory and his goodness and because of that, it impacted them in such a way that they just responded with joy and they had to tell someone about it. In the same way, you witness events in your life and you experience them and you have to tell someone about those things, they did the same. Um, John 21, 25 says that there wouldn't be enough room in, in the whole world to contain all the books that might be written about everything that the Lord Jesus did. And isn't that remarkable? That John got to write a book about it. At the end of it, all he could say is, if I wrote down everything I wanted to say about him, all the books in the world couldn't contain them and there'd be no place to house them. The Bible calls us ambassadors. But do you see how this works? Do you see the pattern that's there? What are you saying about John the Baptist? John the Baptist got to be a witness to the greatness of Jesus. And so he began to tell others about it. But to, in order to do that, you have to personally, you, you can only witness what something you personally experience or know. So let me ask you this. Um, have you per personally witnessed how good Jesus is? So you may be here today and you're a seeker. You may be someone here who has great doubts. Maybe someone here who's a skeptic. And you're like, I don't know about all this. And the application for you today, the way you would apply or live out this message is not to go proclaim anything. It's just, you need to just receive. You need to just be impacted by Jesus. You need to see his grace. You need to know his love for you. You need to know that he left the comforts of heaven and came to rescue you. And he forever put on human flesh and became one of us and died a death in order to pay for your sin, that you might be forgiven and you might live forever with him. He came down and became one of us so that we might be lifted up and become like him. And your, your task, if you don't trust him today, is just, you may be one of those that John 1.12 says, you need to receive him and believe in his name so that you become a child of God today. If you want to do that, we'd love to talk to you about, about how you can do that. So friends, John the Baptist was not the light. He came to bear witness to the light. And for those of us that have borne witness to the light of Christ and that his light's shown in our hearts and we've understood who he is, our job then is to respond to who he is. And ultimately that we are to witness, that what we witness, we should declare and demonstrate. That we should proclaim who he is to others and we should imitate who he is. So here's what I want to do. I want to just point you back to Jesus. Um, that we are all ultimately witnesses to Jesus. And I want to give you four things that Jesus did uh, that, that impact each of us. Um, first is Jesus left a place of comfort. Verse 14 in John 1 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The theological term for that is the incarnation, that he incarnated himself. He put on, he put on flesh. You think of uh, carne asada, you think of meat, right? And so he put on muscle, he put on, he put on flesh, and became human. And so he was always eternally divine, but to his divinity, he wed humanity and became 100% fully God and 100% fully man. And he had to, to, in order to do that, he had to leave a place of comfort. He left heaven to become one of us. He was safe there. He was in perfect union with his Father and with the Spirit. And in the community of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they had perfect relationship. And he stepped out of that into our world and took on flesh in order to bring, in order to make, um, in order to bring about our salvation. And so that's an incredible gift that he gave us. And because of that, John Piper would say, risk is right. It's right for us to take missional risks in order to bring about the goodness as we try to imitate 
what Christ has done for us. And so Christ left comfort of heaven and became one of us. Uh, number two, Jesus made a costly commitment. Uh, you may not realize, but Jesus' incarnation when he took on flesh is a forever thing. He didn't, he didn't put it on like a robe that he could then take off after 33 years and go back to the way he was. He was forever going to be human. He would always be someone who bore the flesh of his humanity for all of eternity future. And so he made a costly commitment to step in and become one of us. Philippians 2 says in his humility, he did not regard his equality with God as something to be held on to, but he emptied himself and became a man, even less than a man, but a man who would die as a servant on a cross. So he made a costly commitment for our sake when he became human. Um, friends, do you fear commitment? Like it's hard for anyone to pin you down. Sometimes you're, you're evaluating a job and you're thinking, should I take that new job? Should I do not do the thing? And you go back and forth and you're like, man, I don't know. Uh, some of you that are dating, ever had to have a DTR, uh, define the relationship conversation? Like all that is about is about commitment. Someone wants to know, hey, are you in or are you out? Like, I want to know what this thing is. Tell me what this is. And so when you're dating, oftentimes guys and gals, you have to have these conversations because you're trying to feel it out. And you're like, I don't know if he's committed. I don't know if she's committed. I'm not sure where we stand. And uh, commitments are hard for us. And what you need to understand about Jesus is Jesus made a costly commitment that he would never renege on and he would never pull back on. He, he came for us. And I'm convinced that the world needs to see followers of Jesus who make costly commitments as well. They're willing to invest in places in order to make a difference. Um, and so when you think about what Jesus did, he um, made a costly commitment for us. Third, he lived redemptively in the midst of a broken world. Uh, going back to verse four and five, it says, light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Um, Jesus calls us to do the same. He calls us to be light in a dark world. Uh, Chris read earlier from Isaiah that the light shines, or that the light came to a, a place of deep darkness, and it brought light to it. Matthew five, um, we we've been look, we looked at in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus, and then turned and said to us, "You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, you let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory." to your Father who is in heaven. Christ shined his light in darkness. We're to do the same. And we're called to, to shine the light of Christ in the city in which we live to declare and demonstrate the love of God to others. And it's easy for us to see how Jesus did this, isn't it? Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, the church needs people willing to give costly commitments of being servants in our city of saying, I, I will be the one that goes and builds a bridge. I will be the one that has a presence among others. I will be the one that continues to invest in those around us. You know, it's interesting to me that Jesus was known as a, was known as a friend of sinners. That was one of the titles that Jesus was given. And, and the reason was that he constantly stepped across lines people didn't anticipate him crossing. And, and, and he upset the religious people of the day. And the religious people of the day looked and they said, why isn't he hanging out with us? We're of greater value than they are. Why? And, they, and they looked down on those people and said, well, I'm just grateful, Lord, that you didn't make me like them. And yet Jesus said, no, I came for them. I came for the sick. And by the way, you religious people are just as sick. You just don't know it. And Jesus continued to move towards 
people and live redemptively in the midst of a broken world. So friends, as we follow Jesus, it means we're called to live with purpose. We're called to live with intentionality. We're called to live redemptively in the midst of a broken world. And that's our heartbeat as a church and what we want to be about. Lastly, we see Jesus sacrificed his life for greater joy. Hebrews 12 tells us that his example was meant, is meant to stir us on or spur us on. Um, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin, every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, we're called to run with endurance, looking to Jesus. And he was the, he's the starter and the finisher. He's the author and perfecter. He's the one that went before us and showed us what true flourishing looks like. He's the one who showed us what grace, God's grace is. He's the one who showed us what truth is. And somehow, if Jesus has captured your heart, something in us gets reoriented to want to follow his example. And so we look to him, as, um, as Hebrews says. Um, and then we run our own race with endurance. Why? Because he endured the cross. That's the pattern that we see over and over in Scripture. You look to Christ, he endured the cross for you, so you endure as a witness for him. You endure in faithfulness for him. You endure in obedience for him because he endured death for you, despising the shame and victorious, victoriously now seated at the right hand of, of the cross. Because do you see how the, the incarnation sets a pattern for those of us in the church that were to repeat? It says that this is the way God uh, entered the world through his son, Jesus, and we're to live accordingly. And so we're to, we're to do the same things he did. Now, we're going to talk more about this in January in terms of the vision and how this works itself out in the life of our church. But today, really, all I want you to do is think about your own heart. I want you to understand the why we do everything we do. I want you to understand the why we celebrate Christmas. I want you to understand the why you would be a witness to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your family, even the heart of the loved ones. I want you to understand the why you would want to rejoice and celebrate in the goodness of Christ. That ultimately it's all about him. Friends, witnesses are those who have seen Jesus. They've experienced who he is. And because of that, they want to be imitators of him. And they respond out of love for him. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that we would see Jesus. Father, might he be lifted up. Father, he is our example. He is our rescuer. He is our king. He is our savior. He is our Lord. He is the one who compels us to act and the one who frees us from ourselves. Father, might he be the one that we celebrate more than anything else. Father, and of all the little things we witness in life and respond with joy, Father, would you, would you overwhelm us with his goodness and his, the greatness of his person and his glory, his grace and his love for us, that we might be overjoyed to celebrate his life this Christmas. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.